Thank you, Proctor family. Uh, so my name is Nate, going to be the lead pastor here at New City. So glad you are joining us in person, online, everyone. We're so glad that you're here. Hey, here's the deal. Uh, I want to make an announcement really quick for you about Christmas Eve, okay? Uh, we are so excited about our Christmas Eve gatherings. They are online, but uh, the big news here is that we've had more people pre-register for Christmas Eve gathering than have ever come to a Christmas Eve gathering in the past. I mean, this is going to be a great time. And so we've got boxes that have gone out uh, this week and will be going out again uh, this next week that, that are kind of physical boxes. But if you miss the registration window for the physical box, it's not a big deal. We have a virtual box available for you. So here's what you can do. You can pre-register uh, for a gathering. You can re receive the gift. You can invite a friend to attend with you at that gathering. It's going to be a great time, and so I want to encourage you uh, to be part of that Christmas Eve gathering. Now, our Advent series we're calling Living Advent. Now, here's why. Uh, our Advent series is called Living Advent because Advent is not just a story we tell. It's a story that we live. And so each week of Advent, we've been talking about hope and peace and joy and love. And we've been saying that, that we, want to just, we want to take this message of hope, peace, joy, and love to the next level for all of us. And say, so what would it look like if we were in our neighborhoods, in our homes, in our city, living hope, uh, living peace, living joy? And this week, uh, our theme is living love. And so in light of living love, I want to celebrate something with you. All right, so we had our, uh, our gift mart yesterday and on Friday. Phenomenal experience at Gift Mart. We had over 500 gifts given uh, for Gift Mart. Over 100 stocking stuffers were given out uh, to kiddos and to families. Uh, 36 volunteers helped serve to make this sort of thing happen. 171 kids served and more will be served. Yeah, come on, Merle. All right, uh, praise God for all that. All right, praise God for all that. Uh, it was such a great day. And the way we worked the Gift, gift Mart is such a phenomenal experience for everyone. All of our guests. I think, felt loved and cared for. Uh, it was just a great, great time to share the love of Christ with others in our community. What's great about that 171 number to me personally is, for us, generosity isn't just about sort of uh, drive-by generosity. We're just giving things away to people we don't know or, or, or don't have developed relationships with. But we really do feel like that 171 people are people that are connected to us relationally, people that we know and love and care for, and that's a big thing for us at New City, that mission isn't something we do to people. It's what we do with people. And we are doing this kind of generosity with the people in our community. And so we're so glad for that. All right, so I got another cool announcement for you, okay? Uh, so just talking about, you know, sharing the love here a little bit. Uh, last week, I shared a Be Good News announcement update with you, and that we had hired Christian Schlenker as a pastor here at New City full-time. Good news, all right? And so here's a, pister, a, a picture of Pastor Christian, and we want to invite Christian up. Just introduce himself and his family so you get to know him. So you guys welcome him up uh, to the platform. Awesome. Welcome, Christian. Yeah, awesome. Thank you, Nate. Yeah, <clears throat> I'm so excited to get to be here with you all. It is so exciting to get to join this community here at New City. This is my family. Uh, this is my wife, Jocelyn. We've been married for a little over seven years now. And our two kids, Elliot, our daughter, and our son, Jonas, we're new, we are native New Mexicans. We're from Albuquerque. We love this city. Uh, to answer a question right off the bat, Christmas is the way I like my chili. Um, <laughs> and we are just really glad to get to be here at New City uh, I told Nate I wouldn't talk too long, so I just yeah. want to say thank you all for inviting <laughs> us here and uh, allowing us to be a part of the community with you all. We're excited to see what God is doing here at New City. 
Awesome. Thank you so much, Christian. We guys, uh, yeah, you're going to get a chance to hear from him in a series coming up real soon. He's be preaching for us. Uh, Christian's dynamic. We are so excited to have him on the team. The reason why he was so brief, I said, I, you get a minute, but not a pastor minute, okay? Because we know pastor minutes last a long time. So I'm really grateful, uh, Christian, you, you did it. All right, you made it through. All right, here we go. Living Advent, here's the message. Here's the deal, all right? Um, by the way, I sent an email out to the church this week, and I, I put Christian's email in it. Uh, send him an email. Just let him know you're glad uh, he's on the team. And, and for everybody who is new to New City, uh, I want you to know something. We've had so many people have, have been new recently who have come to a starting point. They're looking to get plugged in. They're looking to get in a community group. And we, we really want to facilitate as, as the sort of a rapid process of involvement, both in serving and living on mission, but also living in the context of groups. And one of the reasons why we hired Christian was because he's gifted, uh, uh, because uh, God has given him a, you know, a, a tremendous teaching gift, but another reason is because uh, he's a, a, a phenomenal people connector. And we really want you to be connected. He's going to be overseeing community groups, overseeing uh, some uh, of our online gatherings and helping people to get next step into uh, our, the life of our community here at New City. And so I'm really excited for that. So we're going to be able to connect a lot of you really rapidly to our community now that we have someone overseeing that in a full-time capacity. All right, so Living Advent. We st- we're studying this passage in Luke for this reason, right? Uh, Luke is is a, 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 you know Luke's a physician. He's thoughtful. He's giving an orderly account. Uh, so the things that are here in Luke, you can know that Luke's trying to teach us something through the narrative he's sharing, and so he's giving us an illustration, I think, uh, in this passage in Luke of how faith is developed. He's showing us Mary's faith being developed. In fact, Mary is a model for how to respond in faith. And so if you are like new to Christianity, you're new to Jesus, like you're new to this whole uh, Jesus stuff, and you're like, okay, I don't understand how faith works. Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about how faith works. How, how does Mary come uh, to belief? How does she come to accept this remarkable news that she receives from an angel? How does this work for her? And the first thing I want you to know is that Mary doesn't mindlessly believe in magic. Uh, this is a, a tendency that a lot of human beings have. It, 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 you might call it a kind of chronological snobbery. We look at people in the past, we go, well, back then people are just really dumb and they believe stupid things, and that's not the case. And what you see in Mary's story here is that she's not just going, oh, yeah, sure, angels speak to humans. That's natural and normal. That's not how she responds. And so we're going to go a few verses earlier than what was read. We're going to start in verse 26. And so if you've got a Bible or an app, you can do that. You can follow along as well as I read. But we're just going to read a few verses here out of Luke 1, starting in verse 26, and then you'll catch on. All right. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, so this is an angel coming to Mary, saying, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Now listen to Mary's response. Verse 29, she was greatly troubled. What, what are we reading here? Well, we're reading what you would expect to happen. Like, I've not had an angel appear to me and speak to me and say, oh, favored one, and if you had an angel visit you and said some things to you, and you're like, well, what's going on here? You would have some, some hesitation. You would like, what was in that coffee I drank this morning? You know, you'd be asking some really serious questions. And I want you to see that Mary's faith is thoughtful. It's not just blind belief in magic, but it's thoughtful faith. And so you read in verse 29 again, she was greatly troubled, like what's going on here, at the saying, and she tried to discern. Now that word discern is a, is a word that's an accounting word. 
In other words, like a way that you'd say it in sort of a modern idiom is you say something like this. Uh, she's, this didn't add up, and she's trying to make it add up. Like, does this add up? Like, this doesn't make sense. Like, this is a, an extraordinary experience that I have not had before. So she was greatly troubled at the saying. She tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And I want you to see something here. And this is important to note. Because sometimes I think people think that faith is just sort of like this a wholehearted embrace uh, of, of something, and it doesn't, it doesn't have any doubt at all uh, uh, associated with it. But I want you to see that Mary's faith is filtered through doubt. In fact, doubt is a part of a healthy faith. Uh, if you are somebody who is prone to skepticism and you are prone to even cynicism, I want you to know that is, that is not detrimental to the faith experience. In fact, it could be an asset to your faith experience. Uh, look at verse 30. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And then Mary said, How will this be since I'm a virgin? Uh, it, it seems apparent here that Mary uh, has had the lesson on the birds and the bees, and she's going, okay, now this really doesn't add up. H how could this even be possible? Uh, she's doubting. She's not just blindly receiving. She's questioning. She's calling into question this angelic being who's giving her this phenomenal news. I mean, she's applying a first principle of faith, which is testing and approving. Uh, you could say it this way in the words of Tim Keller from Reason for God. He says, A faith without some doubts is like a human body without any antibodies in it. People who blindly go through life too busy or indifferent to ask hard questions about why they believe as they do will find themselves defenseless against either the experience of tragedy or the probing questions of a smart skeptic. So here Keller says, Hey, a doubt is kind of like an antibody in the body that just defends off against disease and bad ideas. Look, there's a kind of doubt that opens the mind. And there's also a kind of doubt that closes the mind. There's a kind of doubt that says, okay, how could this be? There's a kind of faith that says, all right, show me. I want to I know. I mean, I'm not just believing. I'm doubting, but I want to know. I want to seek answers. But there's also a kind of doubt that says, nah, forget about it. There's a kind of doubt that, that just it closes the mind off to any further information. You see, there's a doubt that seeks answers, and there's a kind of doubt that defends questions. Y you've met those kind of people who are just always questioning, and, and, but, but they're not really looking for information. They're just looking to sort of own their position. But here Mary is really looking for information. She's really looking to learn. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be? Like, I, I want to know. Do you have an answer to this question? This remarkable news? I'm a virgin. I'm going to have a baby. Okay, how could this be possible? Now, I want you to see that Mary's faith develops with the support of evidence and experience, both things. It's a faith that develops with evidence and experience. Now, this is curious what happens here in verse 35, because the angel applies a logical sentence construction here. So the angel says, and <laughs> the angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, therefore. Now, with this angelic mind, there's a different kind of reasoning going on here that Mary's going to cer certainly be open to here in a few minutes. But the, the angel just goes, I mean, this is just a, 
a, a miracle is going to happen, therefore. And most of us would hear that and go, okay, uh, all right, I, I hear that. That makes sense. I mean, this is, a, this is a, a sentence that's certainly conveying some logical framework here, but uh, there are factors involved here that I'm not familiar with. But the angel says, hey, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child <laughs> to be born will be called Holy and the Son of God. And then he gives her evidence. And behold, your, your, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a miracle baby. And so I want you to know there's evidence here to support this faith claim I'm asking you to receive. And the logic I'm using here, the angel says, is this, for nothing will be impossible with God. So the piece of information that you, you, nef, you, ne, that you need to have if you're going to embrace this claim that I'm giving to you, and the piece of information you need to be able to hold on to that, that is a piece of, uh, of logic, a piece of a truth, that if you believed it and you understood it, uh, this would all make sense to you, that nothing's impossible with God. You see, I want you to know that faith develops differently for different people, and this is key to understand. Because if you know a, a Christian person uh, who is accustomed to sharing their testimony, sometimes Christian people will tell their story, and it's like, yeah, I was at a conference, or I, was at a, I heard a sermon, or, uh, you know, God spoke to me one day, and boom, I became a Christian. And sometimes that happens. I mean, sometimes it does. Uh, there's a, a story, um, uh, you know, in, in the book of Acts, where, where that, that happens for somebody. And you can say for some, for some it's, a, it's a moment in time. Like, truly, conversion is a moment in time. But for others, it's a stirring of moments, it's a kind of a string of moments that stir up within you Faith, it develops within you faith. It, it's, for some of us, it's over time, and I can say that's me. Uh, there, there wasn't a moment in time for me. It wasn't like I was at a, a gathering at some point, you know, and, and I heard the message, and boom, I'm a believer. Uh, it was a string of experiences in college. And it was a string of experiences in college that, in hindsight, I could look back and go, oh, man, in college, God was doing something. He was developing something. He was introducing me to things, and he was, he was calling me to himself, and I was experiencing this. And in hindsight, I can see it, God developing faith in me over time. But it wasn't like a point in time. It wasn't like this moment where I was like, oh, yeah, now I'm a believer. But it happened that way for the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts. He's reading, the, he's reading Isaiah in Acts 8, and the eunuch says to Philip, hey, Look, there's water. What keeps me from being baptized? Let me do it right now. Like he's like, boom, I'm converted. I'm <laughs> the word's open to me. Let's do it. Let's go. Let's get baptized. I'm going to go all in, both feet. That's, that's his attitude. But I'm, my experience is much more like C.S. Lewis's experience. And in Surprised by Joy, C.S. Lewis talks about his conversion experience. Listen to what he says. He says, you must picture me alone in that room in Magdalen, night after night, feeling whenever my mind lifted, even for a second from my work, the steady, unrelenting approach of him, whom I so earnestly desired not to meet. Maybe you've had that experience. That which I greatly feared had at last come upon me. In the Trinity term of 1929, I gave in and admitted that God was God and knelt and prayed, and perhaps that night, the most dejected and reluctant convert in all England. But who can duly adore that love which will open the high gates to a prodigal who is brought in, kicking, struggling, resentful, and darting his eyes in every direction for a chance of escape? The hardness of God is kinder than the softness of men, and his compulsion 
is our liberation. And for some of us, we've experienced that kind of conversion experience. God's unrelenting pursuit of us, chasing us down, coming after us. And for some of us, myself included, uh, we identify with the prodigal reality of running from God and turning from Him and trying to find a way to escape Him, and His grace just becomes unescapable. You see, I think uh, you need to know this about Mary's faith, that Mary's faith is more than rational. It, it's, it's super rational, meaning it pulls in factors that aren't just available to just m mere reason. They're, they're, they're supernaturally made available to her, a supernatural sort of reasoning. So when the angel invites her to reason, he invites her to reason with, with not just the natural in mind. He invites her to reason with supernatural things in mind. He says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the, the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, reason with me, Mary, from a perspective that anything is, anything is possible with God. Reason with me from a perspective where miracles actually happen. Reason with me from a perspective where there is a God who is, who is high, and sits high on His throne, and who's over everything, and who speaks and things come into existence. Like, reason with me from a, a perspective where God can create the world out of nothing. Like, reason with me from a perspective of miracles can happen. You see, faith is rational so long as you don't reason away the supernatural. And if you have gotten to the place in your life where you've reasoned, you've reasoned away any any chance of the supernatural, then it's going to be hard for you to embrace the truths of the Scriptures. But the Holy Spirit opens your mind and, and helps you to see that, there, that we live in a world that is bathed in the supernatural. That, that things, some things just don't happen naturally. There's some things that, that, that need a supernatural origin. Let me just press in a little bit with you, okay? If you've heard the Christian message and have never found it unbelievable, you probably haven't understood it. There are, are moments in the Christian faith where your reason is stretched to the point where you go, the rest of it I have to receive in faith. I just, I, my, my mind is just not, I can't do it. By the way, I mean, if God wasn't so big that he, <laughs> he was bigger than your capacity to understand, he wouldn't be worthy of your worship. But he is, and he does exceed your capacity to understand. And there are times like in our, in our walk with God where our reason can get us so far, and then the rest of it just has to be received by faith. Let me put it another way. If the Holy Spirit could hover over the waters and bring life to everyone, he could certainly ho hover over a womb and bring life to one more. And what the angel is describing, from the angel's perspective, has to be, Gabriel has to be just going, well, this is just logical sense. Because the earth was without form, since Genesis 1 and 2, and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God hovered over the waters, and life happened. And if God could do that and bring life to everything, certainly, Mary, He could hover over your womb and bring life there. Like, this, this is reasonable. This is rational, Mary. As long as you have a mind for the supernatural. As long as you have a mind for miracles. As long as you, you, you have this sensation that you can believe that the impossible is possible with God. And so, Mary's faith doesn't produce, listen, complete understanding. But her faith does produce complete surrender. For nothing will be impossible with God, the angel says. 
And listen to what Mary says in response. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So listen to what Mary doesn't say. Mary, Mary doesn't say, oh, that makes sense. <laughs> that's, not, that's not at all her response. She says, I'm the Lord's servant. Her faith has developed to the place where she's like, okay, my, my reason has got me to here. I can't go any further. The rest I receive in faith. See, you don't have to totally get faith if faith has gotten you. And faith had gotten her. It had, it had awakened in her. I'm going to help you with this a little bit. and This may make sense to somebody. Uh, you may be watching and you've been like, dude, I've got this weird string of coincidences that keep leading me to like hear gospel things and to hear truths about God. And I keep running into Jesus-y people and I can't quite make sense of it all. I want you to know this, okay? The, the story of the Bible is not the story of a desperate humanity seeking after God. That's not the story of the Bible. The story of the Bible is the story of a God seeking after a desperate humanity. That's the story of the Bible. And when you look at the early pages of, of Genesis, when Adam and Eve sin and they're hiding, what is God doing? He's seeking. And God is a seeking God. And he's a, he's a hunter God. And he chases people down. And it may be so that God has been coming after you and has been planting people in your life and stories in your lives and thoughts in your head that are drawing you to him. And Tim Keller says in Hidden Christmas, so if someone asks you, if you're a Christian, you should not say, of course. Uh, there should be no of courseness uh, about it. It'd be more appropriate to say, yes, I am, and that's a miracle. Me, a Christian. Who would have ever thought it? Yet he did it, and I am his. So Mary comes to a place of faith. She comes to a faith of belief, not complete understanding, but a receiving of the news that, yes, with God, the impossible is possible. And she, a virgin, could give birth to a baby who's going to be the king of kings and the lord of lords, and he's going to reign forever and ever and ever. And Mary receives that and says, I'm a servant. I'm, I'm here. I'll respond in that way. But I want you to know something, and... And, and I want to just spend just a second here just sort of pressing in. That Mary's faith, her particular faith, the faith that she embraces, is in direct contradiction to everything we've experienced in American life. You see, Mary's faith is in direct contradiction to the transactionalism of consumer Christianity and the radical individualism of the American identity. Her faith is... Is, is weird to anybody who was raised in America, to say it another way. Because what she does is she surrenders her own individual rights, even, even the rights over her own body, to, to a God who's in, who's in control. He'll be great, the angel says. He'll be called the Son of the Most High. Listen to the description of this child to be born. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. 
Mary, I'm asking you to believe that you're going to give birth to a Lord who has a throne, who will reign, and his kingdom will will be no end. In other words, I want you to know something here, that that faith is going to require from you, and faith is going to be demonstrated by you. It's, It's going to be demonstrated in the form of surrender of everything, of everything. You see, individualistic consumer Christianity wants a Savior for sins without surrender of life. They love Jesus as my Savior, my sins. They don't know much about Jesus as the King and Lord of my life. And Mary here says, I'm the servant due due to me. I'm here. I'll serve. She brings complete surrender. Dallas Willard says it this way. He says, individualistic consumer Christianity fosters vampire Christians, those are his words, who only want a little blood for their sins, but nothing more to do with Jesus until heaven. And Mary is showing us the nature of faith, is complete and absolute surrender. Not just saying, thank you, Jesus, for saving me from my sins, but she's saying, I'm here, I'm the servant, use me as you would. She says, as Jesus said in the garden, not my will, but yours be done. This echo of what faith looks like is all over the pages of Scripture. American individualism has fostered phrases like this. I have decided to make Jesus my personal Lord and Savior. I want to press in on that. We don't decide to make Jesus Lord. He is Lord regardless of what we decide. He's Lord. And Mary's faith is recognizing His Lordship. She's recognizing the throne. She's recognizing the king. She's living in response to God and his calling. Uh, So that the name of Jesus, says Paul in Philippians 2, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Like This is what faith looks like. It's bowing the knee to Jesus in every area of life with increasing measure. It's submission. It's surrender. That's what faith is. And you cannot have salvation of sins without surrender of life. Those things come together. And so when you receive Christ as your Savior, you do so by also recognizing Him as King. And He's a good King, by the way. And so when Jesus was giving the commission to His apostles, He says, hey guys, here's here's the deal. I want you to go, therefore, and make disciples, followers, surrenderers, submitters, of all nations, baptized in them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Scott McKnight in his book, The King Jesus Gospel, does s- some work here in helping us understand what's happened in American Christianity. He says, I believe the word gospel has been hijacked by what we believe about personal salvation. And the gospel itself has been reshaped to facilitate making decisions. The result of this hijacking is that the word gospel no longer means in our world what it originally meant to either Jesus or the apostles. Most of evangelism today is obsessed with getting someone to make a decision. The apostles, however, were obsessed with making disciples. Bringing people to a place of surrender. Whole life surrender. Deciders have been taught to consume an individualized spiritual product. But disciples are taught to surrender everything to our loving king. To bow the knee to him. To say, not my will, but yours be done. Behold, I'm the Lord's servant. Use me however you want to use me. Uh, there's a fascinating book on the Apostles' Creed by J.I. Packer. And in this book, 
Packer does some work along with Scott McKnight and sort of saying, what happened? How did we get here? Where we have this sort of consumer Christianity sort of taking cultural uh, sort of hold in American society. Packer writes, as the 20th century (laughs) trains and cars came to be streamlined for speed, so the gospel was streamlined for instant comprehension and response. The question being explored was, how little do we need to tell people before for them to become Christians? Was this a good question to work with? In some circles, maybe so, but in most, Packer says, definitely not. He calls it the ABC approach, the admit, believe, and confess approach. He says the ABC approach is thus not full enough. The whole story of the Father's Christ-exalting plan of redeeming love from eternity to eternity must be told. For the radical reorientation of life for which the gospel calls will not be understood. And the required total shift from self-centeredness to Christ-centeredness will not take place. So the question is, how do you get to the place that you surrender everything to God? How do you get to the place where, where, where Mary is? Where you say to God, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. That's radical. It feels like radical faith. Like how how do you have that kind of radical faith? We just open-handedly go to God and you say, behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. I think Luke is doing something for us here in Mary's narrative. He's saying, this is what faith looks like. You want to know what saving faith looks like? It looks like this. Behold, I'm the Lord's servant. Let it be to me according to your word. Like, what do you want me to do, God? I'm here for you. You are the king, I'm not the king. You are the Lord, I'm not the Lord. You're on the throne, I'm not on the throne. It's it's bowing the knee to his will above your own. So how do you get to that place? The only way you can get to that place is trusting in the loving goodness of God. Because you certainly couldn't bow the knee to somebody that wasn't benevolent, wasn't loving, wasn't caring, wasn't generous. That'd be a frightening proposition. You read passages like John 3.16 and they are familiar to you. But sometimes we have to just, we have to wrestle with the content of John 3.16. For God so loved the world. And sometimes, I mean, American people, we just can't, we can't handle, you know. uh, Americans are so trained to think me first and others later. So let me just help you, okay, if you're just like in that space of training. For God so loved you. God the Father so loved you that he gave his son to live the life that you could not live, to die the death on the cross that you should have died because you're a sinner. He bore the penalty of your sins on the cross. He buried them away. He rose again. He conquered sin and death. He did that for you. Like every mistake, every blown opportunity, I mean, every misstep this past week, like the Lord Jesus said, I'll come and live the perfect life for you because I know you can't do it. And the Father loved you so much that he sent a son for you. Holy Spirit, reveal that to us. Like, help us understand what that means to be so loved by a God that he would send his son for us. See, trust is, is necessary. Trusting in God's loving kindness, trusting in God's benevolent nature is necessary because full comprehension is out of reach. I mean, he wouldn't be worthy of your worship if you could comprehend him anyway. If you didn't just sometimes stand in awe of God and go, I don't get it. He wouldn't be worthy of your worship anyway. 
but I will pray for you like the Apostle Paul prays for you. And the Apostle Paul prays to the church. He says, I, I, I want you guys to know, church, I want you to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. I want you to know that there's a love out there. There's a love in the universe that's so profound you, you can't understand it. The Holy Spirit bridges the gap. Holy Spirit bridges the gap. Help us. Help us to know the love that we just could, we couldn't, we couldn't get it. I run into this scenario all the time, okay, because I have an eight-year-old daughter. I can tell you the distance between me and my eight-year-old is a shorter distance than the distance between me and God. And I promise you, there are moments in my daughter's life where she does not believe that I love her to the extent that I love her. <laughs> there are. I mean, I love her so much. My love's imperfect. It's not like God's love, but I mean, I love her so much. But there are moments, right? There are moments of discipline. There are moments of, of, of you know, having to cause some personal pain for her, like in her life, that caused her to go question my love for her. I mean, it does. There are moments for her where she's like, I don't know. I, don't, I mean, I know he loves me, but I, I don't know. I don't know so much right now, this moment, right? And the distance between her and me, that's a shorter distance than the distance between me and God. And there are times with God where I'm going, I don't know. And I have to go back to the scriptures. I have to keep repeating the truths that are true, that are eternally true, and test my experience based upon what I know the scriptures say to be true. And sometimes just embrace, like, you know, my daughter doesn't always get it, and I'm not always going to get it, but I know he's good. I know he's good. So I don't have to fully comprehend to fully surrender. Just don't. I don't have to grasp it all to fully surrender. I don't have to make sense of it all to fully surrender. Because I trust in his loving goodness. And so sometimes, like Mary, I just come to the place where I go, okay, all right, miracle baby, um, angels talking to me, um, you know, I'm trying to make, make it all add up, and you're going, okay, some things, some things are just impossible by myself, but with God, nothing's impossible. He's good, and he's loving. You may be in a spot in that, that way in your life right now, just, just to say it, okay? Where there's something that you, 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 is going on in your life, and you're going, I want to believe God can do something here. Like, I want to believe that God can do something in this relationship. I want to believe God can do something in this workplace. I want to believe that God can do something in my parenting. I want to believe God can do something in my singleness. I want to believe that God can do something with my education. I want to believe that God can do something. And, and you just, you, you're at the place where you go, I can't see how it's possible. And sometimes you just have to say to God, I'm your servant. Do with me what you want that all things are possible with you. And my trust isn't in, in my goodness, it's in your goodness. And so our Living Advent series is called Living Advent because we're, we're not just telling the story of Advent. We're saying, okay, all right, how does this affect how we live? You know, what would, what would it look like for you if the hope of the gospel was real and that God was, in fact, making all things new? How would it change how you're living right now in this season? 
if you knew that you were, you were, because of Jesus, an adopted child of God, and that you received Christ's inheritance, that you're a co-heir with Christ, and there's nothing this world could ever give you that, did, that compared to what Christ has already given to you, and there's nothing this world could ever take from you because your sins have, one, have been covered once and for all. Like you, you have nothing left to prove. Like What would it look like if you, if you had a living hope? What would it look like if you were living into that hope and you were living peace right now in your, in your life and you believe that God's at work making all things new and you were praying, Matthew 6.10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. You were just like looking for ways to bring God's shalom to the world. What would it look like if you were living into that peace? I can tell you, I know you'd have a living joy. Because you, 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 you would know that you've received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. I know that you'd have living joy because you know that, man, God, God so has me. My future is secure. And I know that you would be building yourself up in love and trust as you get to know God as a benevolent God. You'd be like knowing that He's a loving God, but you'd also what happened is love would start spilling out of you. And as the Bible says, we love because He first loved us. You know, we come to a place in our messages where we talk about just four movements. And one of those is a movement of decision. And you may be like in a place right now of decision where you're like, it doesn't make sense to me 100%. Like, I, I haven't made sense to all about all of this. Um, but the Holy Spirit said to me, he's good. Then, then put your trust in Jesus. Just put your trust in him. There's no formula there for that. Just put your trust in him. It, but it may be that you're at a point of decision in your faith and your walk with God where God's called you to something. He's called you to service in some way. And you've been like, I don't know. You know, I don't want to step into that world. I don't want to do that kind of service. And you're, you're hearing Mary's voice just echo in your soul. I'm the Lord's servant, right? And you're just you're going, okay, God, do with me what you want. And that's your step of faith. That's your decision today. Every week when we celebrate communion, either at home, as you break the bread and, and enjoy the, the wine, or as you, you know, take the the, the bread, enjoy the grape juice here in service. As you, as, you, as you remember Christ's body broken for you and his blood shed for you, what you're doing is you're remembering that God's a benevolent God. That he loves you. That when you break the bread, remember his body broken for you, you're saying, you know what? He's good. He's good. He was good, he was good for me. He died for me. When you take the cup, you're like, man, he was emptied on the cross. That I might be filled up in him. Like, he's good. It's a way for us to just sort of meditate. Okay, I can trust him. I can put my trust in him. You know, generosity is an act of worship, and so you can always be generous here at New City Online. You can be generous on the app. You can, you can be generous in service and giving in the boxes if you want to give in the boxes. But we, we really do appreciate your generosity because God's a generous God. He's been generous to us. If you're meeting online today, you can pray with a prayer counselor. There's prayer counselors available. We'd love for you to, to, to just reach out and say, I need prayer. And maybe that's a faith decision you need prayer for. And I'm here today uh, to pray with you. I'll be in the back, and I'd love to be able to just pray with you. There's a faith decision you're wrestling with, and there's something that you, know, you want to take to God in prayer, I'd love to be able to pray for you. But it has been our form during this Advent season is we really want to put just before you people who are doing it. Uh, I, I, you know, we could talk about living love. We could talk about living love. But then we can sometimes just say, you know what, let's hit pause. Let's just show you what living love looks like. And Emily Diaz. My name is Emily Diaz, and I am a church planter alongside my husband, Abiel Diaz. We partnered with New City along with some other local churches and Stadia Church Planting to plant Ciudad de Gracia just about four years ago. 
So when I think about living love, um, what occurs to me is living sacrificial love, making myself less to make more of others. In church planting, I see this a similar picture, um, empowering church planters that don't have opportunities that other might, particularly planters of color. Our family is a multicultural, bilingual, mish-mash mess of two cultures. Um, and we've fought through what that looks like of how to take one culture and another culture and live them um, in existence with one another. In that journey, I have seen um, Abiel, my husband, who originally comes from Mexico, the opportunities that he's not given, how he is overlooked, how he is misunderstood, um, and how he has not been heard or listened to. Being a wife and someone who is protective, that hurts, and I uh, feel that pain to the center of my core. Stepping into the church planting world, uh, I've come to the understanding that Abiel's pain and experience, experiences are not isolated to him. That those are lived experiences for the majority of people of color in ministry. They're not heard or understood. They're not the shiny penny in the batch. So you can live love alongside of me, Siva de Gracia, by looking around you and empowering others that are around you. Who's a part of your life and who is God calling you to sacrificially love? Where do you need to sacrifice power or position or money in order to empower others into power and position? Living love is about sacrificial love, and that's the picture of Jesus, who came to sacrifice of himself so that we might be empowered to be in relationship with him. That's the mission of Jesus and the mission of the church. It's your mission too.